0: Welcome to the Delve Spirit and Truth Podcast,
1: where we wrestle with questions from the pew.
0: This is Casey.
1: And this is Jenny. Today, we are delving into prophecy. Casey, what is prophecy? Is it still around?
0: This is a, I think, a big picture that a lot of us need to really address because there is the modern day idea of prophecy to where people are looking to end times revelation and the fulfillment of the book of Revelation, I think especially in our Western culture, so much of what our focus is is on the fulfillment of the book of Revelation from this premillennial perspective and looking at going, okay, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. But that is not really what the scripture is in reference to when we're talking about prophecy in today's church.
1: Yeah, I think growing up in the conservative denomination I was in, I learned about like Old Testament prophets and my understanding is like they like, Told the future and um, New Testament prophets were kind of just not ever talked about. I was never like explained anything from the New Testament whenever it's talking about these different prophets and the mm-hmm. the place for prophets in a church. Basically just assume they're not around anymore. One of my favorite sayings that I heard recently was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that seems to be where the Western church's worship is these days. It's just in the Scripture and not really in the Lord of the Scripture.
1: But we had Jesus say some strong words about what the Spirit was going to do for us, like that he would...
0: He would guide us into all truth. He didn't say the Scripture would guide us into all truth. And now a lot of people will say, oh, wow, you just you just said the Scripture is not perfect and pure. No, absolutely it is. It's the revealed word By the author, the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth by understanding that revealed word.
1: One of the things for me is whenever I start understanding, you know, in our English, it just talks about words. But in the Greek, there's actually a word logos, which is the original Greek for the written word of God. And then there was rhema, which is the word of God that's the spoken or the breathed word of God. And so I just thought every time I was talking about the word of God, I was talking about scripture, scripture, scripture. And I realized that there is actually a distinction between reading scripture and between hearing from God.
0: Well, what we see is the logos is the written down rhema. Yeah. Because the rhema was revealed first, right? Other than the the scripture being written down on the tablets, the Ten Commandments. But what we're looking at in regards to prophecy is we need to take a comprehensive view of the Old Testament and the New Testament to understand what prophecy actually is and what it reveals and what it is about. I think so often today we, especially with more conservative backgrounds and more of a cessationist view that this idea of prophet is something that is antiquated. It's something that went away with the times of the apostles or went away with the times of Jesus. Uh, And you look at, Jesus made a, a strong distinction that the greatest prophet of the Old Testament was John the Baptizer. And you go, okay, well, does that mean that's the end of prophets? Well, no, he didn't say that. He said, of that Dispensation,
1: Right, of the Old Testament.
0: Of the Old Testament. And now I'm not saying that I'm a dispensationalist, but there are truths to dispensationalism.
1: What's dispensationalism?
0: That things take place in different periods of time, a dispensation of time, and that God worked in specific ways during specific periods of time.
1: Now, do you think that sometimes people attribute different things to different dispensations and haven't maybe dispersed out the things that are currently still in our dispensation. What am I trying to say? Like basically like people say like this only belonged in this time period. Right.
0: So there, there is this picture in dispensationalism, which is really carried over into a lot of cessationist doctrine in that, Oh, so the Holy spirit moved on prophets during this period of time, but no longer in this period of time. So it ended and was only, located to that dispensation.
1: You know, my favorite thing is to reading reading the stories about Augustine and Calvin and their moms and them hearing from God, them getting words of knowledge, and I'm just like, where are all my Calvinists at? Why aren't they reading these accounts of their, you know, highly held up forefathers that they right. look to that literally operated in words of knowledge and healing?
0: Oh, they saw miracles. They saw healing. They saw um, demons okay. cast out. They— they experienced the supernatural, but we're kind of getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves, but that is a, a picture of the fact that experientially the gifts of the Spirit never ceased. Now, I want to look at a very scriptural view and really kind of go on a journey of where we came from because we grew up in a very conservative background. I grew up in a church that is explicitly cessationist.
1: And I grew up in a church where it just wasn't really talked about right? either way.
0: And I will say that... In my upbringing, it wasn't discussed. Now, looking back, I know that, and they still are, very cessationist and thinks that all of those things in regards to the Holy Spirit.
1: Remind me again what cessationist means.
0: Cessationism means the gifts of the Spirit, the miraculous sign gifts of the Spirit have ceased. They have stopped. They no longer exist.
1: And the opposite of that would be?
0: Continuationism. That is the theological term used by most charismatics of what we believe that things actually still continued today,
1: and there's scriptural evidence for that.
0: Yes, I would say there's a lot of scriptural evidence, but I, I kind of want to give this comprehensive picture of where I came from because there is so much of my upbringing that that bled into how I interpreted scripture. Because of the bias of cessationism, there was kind of a a negligence or an ignoring of certain scriptures and certain passages. And I just kind of disregarded those things. And so when I would read passages about prophets in the New Testament, I was just really confused. I was kind of confounded, like, what are you talking about? There were prophets in the New Testament. That you look at Judas and Silas in Acts chapter 15, verse 32, that they were prophets and they prophesied. And you look at those different examples in the book of Acts of prophets continuing after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, after the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, it made me struggle with this cessationist standpoint because I was confronted with a fundamental truth that the Word of God is pure, perfect, and without error. And if that is true, which it is, then this doctrine that I have kind of just grown up with, this idea of those things stopped, was challenged. And when it was challenged, I just kind of ignored a lot of those scriptures and kind of put those to the side. But as I started to grow and as I started to read more and just really allow the scripture to speak for itself and not allow myself to dictate to it what it means, I really had a change of heart and I had a change of mind because the scripture is true. And if the scripture is true, my doctrine needs to conform to it.
1: Whenever I was studying different scriptures What really speaks to me is when Jesus or Paul, you know, some of the New Testament teachers are talking about the last days Mm -hmm. or in the end times, and they mention things like power, like the gifts, like prophecy, like dreams and visions. And I'm like, to my understanding, you know, the last days are either here or yet future. They're not in the past, right? We didn't skip the last days. And so it would definitely be after the canonization of scripture the last days would be what what would you say the last days are referring to
0: the scripturally the last days is from the time jesus rose from the grave we've been in the last days since jesus ascension into heaven and so the last days haven't ended we're still here believing and seeing that the gospel is going forward marching forward throughout time standing firm and true
1: I've quoted this before, but Second Timothy 3 talks about that in the last days, perilous times will come, and talks about how men are going to be, that they're going to be lovers of selves and of money, that they're going to be proud, blasphemous, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brut- brutal despisers of good— traitors headstrong haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of god but then and i'm think you think that oh this is talking about non-believers but no because then it says having a form of godliness so these are people that are trying to follow god that are trying to be religious but denying its power
0: yes and that's that's the issue with the cessationist mindset it is a denial of the power of god It is a denial of the resurrection power that dwells in every believer.
1: A couple of verses later, it says, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. And that's really where I was, is that I was learning. I was going to Bible college. I was spending 40 hours a week studying the word of God. I was finding some of these things, but I still wasn't opened completely to the truth. I was slowly becoming open to it, but I was still denying the power.
0: Right. And so when we're looking at this, this picture to to give an overarching view, what is a prophet? When you actually go look it up and look at the root meaning in the Hebrew and then go look to this picture of what it looks like in the New Testament compared with the Old Testament, it is an ecstatic speaking forth of a revealed word given to, to you by God. And so the prophets of old, before Samuel, were referred to as seers. And so they would see things in visions and in dreams. They would see things given to them in their mind to reveal truth, and they would relate what they saw, right? There was something in their mind that they were seeing, whether it be dreams, whether it be visions, or whether the Lord is just speaking to them, and they're awake, and they're just praying, and God speaks to them. But it was an ecstatic, a strong, emphatic what many people would say, like a little excessive, a little extreme in the presentation of the truth, but they would do so with such boldness of the revealed word. And when we're looking at this picture of prophecy from a New Testament perspective, which is the same as the Old Testament, I don't think they're different in my opinion, that it is truly a forth you're telling of things yet to come, oftentimes, but also this picture of God revealing truth of what he wants his people to do in response to the truth, whether that be good, whether that be bad.
1: We have this other... Promise in Acts 2, and it says in verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my maidservants and my men servants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth beneath. It says blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. That hasn't happened yet. The sun hasn't been turned to darkness Mm -hmm. and the moon hasn't been turned to blood. And so, you know, if the last day started with Jesus' resurrection and we haven't gotten to this moon and sun thing yet, then it seems to me in context that Jesus is saying people will prophesy.
0: Yes, and I would I would say that's very much in eschatology, the study of end times, a premillennial position. Those things have not yet come to pass. Now There are a lot of Christians that disagree with that, and they think it has already happened.
1: Well, I don't see a blood moon. Yeah. I don't see the sun being darkened, so that's yes. just me.
0: Um, and so that's another discussion, but that, that is a, a picture of these things we, we see that are going to transpire. But I want to look at that picture in Acts chapter 2 because – You can't take that into consideration with what the Lord has desired to do and what He had promised He would do. So in Acts chapter 2, 16 to 18, Jenny started in verse 17. This is a picture of a promise yet fulfilled that was fulfilled in Acts, but it was a promise made in Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 29. And it shall come to pass afterward, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. And that is a direct quotation as a fulfillment at the giving of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts in the upper room at the consummation of the church, that that was a fulfillment of what was promised in Joel chapter 2. And what is interesting is that's always been in the heart of God. He's always wanted to do that. He's always desired to do that. We see in the Old Testament that there were select people that received the gift um, and the role of prophet. And then there were people who did not even have the role of prophet who did prophesy. And so there's a distinction there that I do want to make here in a moment. But to reveal to you that there is this picture of a desire of God, I want to read just a quick verse in Numbers eleven twenty nine. And Moses said unto him, Envy you for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them? And this goes back to that picture of the 70 elders of Israel. The Lord would divide his spirit that he had placed upon Moses, that he would divide the spirit upon these 70 elders to help rule, to help reign um, over the people of Israel, to deal out judicious judgment. And all of those men prophesied. And it was such a beautiful picture. It's not that, okay, they get a part of the Holy Spirit. No, he divided himself, as he does amongst believers today, with empowerment
1: you know, when we were going to Bible college and we realized the importance of context, you know, you could take anyone's speech and you could pull lines out of context and make it say what you want. We started realizing how important it was to look at entire passages of scripture, entire um, chapters and books, and not just look at verses. And some of the things I realized, one of them was here in first Corinthians 12, that it talks about like, we're different members of the body and that there's a foot and there's a hand and we're all used for different parts. And we've all heard that preached, right? We've all heard that talked about and and we've heard that applied to today, but I didn't realize that in context right before that, he talks about those different parts. In verse eight, it says, for one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit, and to another, the word of knowledge through the same spirit, into to another, the word of faith. of." to the same spirit and to another gift of healings by the same spirit, another, the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits and different kinds of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so he's equating these different giftings to being different parts of the body. And then after that section of scripture, he's talking about these different offices, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And so it's interesting because... Many times when I've heard that preached, I've never heard it apply to the gifts, nor have I heard it applied to the different offices mentioned in that same section of scripture.
0: Right. There's a, there's a strong distinction that he's making. I have a whole sermon series on that. And the picture that we see is there is this gifting that the Lord gives and can distribute as the Spirit wills to any believer. That's the signed gifts, so to speak the empowerment gifts from verses 8 to 9. And just to clarify this picture of verses 8 through 10, that this is referring to the manifestation, impartation of gifts, not so much as role within the body, but giftings that the Holy Spirit can distribute to any believer as he sees fit. And when you look at the latter portion of First Corinthians 12, um, is, is a beautiful picture of this distinction of offices, distinction of roles, and that's the whole point of this entire picture. Um, that he lays out in this imagery that he gives of the body.
1: Which would go back to what you were saying about Moses and the Lord's always had a desire to distribute the spirit among the people.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So when we look at this um, picture that the Holy Spirit desired to pour out his spirit upon all flesh, that you may all prophesy that his sons and his daughters would have dreams and visions and and be empowered and filled with His Spirit. That hasn't changed since the consummation of the church. When He poured out His Spirit, He poured out His Spirit once and for all. We don't need another Pentecost. All we need is an encounter and faith with the Lord and who He is. And once we believe, you can either be baptized with the Spirit upon conversion or subsequently afterwards. It doesn't really change the reality of the holy spirit desires once he is given to bubble up to pour out forth the gifts that he has wanted to distribute from the foundation of the earth
1: one of the places where we have a lot of listings about what exactly prophecy is is first corinthians 14 and in verse 3 it says but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men now there are more things listed in this chapter that prophecy also includes but that's a great list right there And so it's saying that, what's the whole point? Because I think for me, I always just thought it was future telling. You know what I mean? And he who prophesies speaks for edification, exhortation, and comfort. And so these words of knowledge or prophecy are to comfort people. It's to build them up. It's to encourage them. I think that Part of people's fear surrounding prophecy is like, oh, no, what if they're changing the word of God? What if it's like, thus saith the Lord, and it's like something crazy, and they just don't have good examples of what prophecy looks like nowadays, and so there's just this fear surrounding it. Mm -hmm. So one of the best examples that I've heard recently about prophecy, um, it was from a prophetic person, and she had this thing happen where she was in a department store. She was buying some shoes. She walks up to the counter and she lets the person know, hey, I am a prophet. And I was like, whoa, that's some really bold language. But the person, you know, not really a Christian or anything, looks at her and was like, okay, well, what's God want to say to me? Like people still kind of understand what it is. And she heard this short phrase from the Lord. And the phrase was something like, God says you're going to be a good parent. And the girl looks at her in shock and says, I got a positive pregnancy test and I haven't even told my boyfriend or anyone else and I've scheduled the abortion for Thursday. But if God says I'm going to be a good parent, I'll go cancel it right now. And so the girl went on break right then and canceled the abortion. That is an example of God intervening Absolutely. miraculously in someone's life. That has changed the course. That has changed a life that is going to get to be lived on this planet mm. because someone was able to be brave enough to to hear from God. And to awkwardly let someone else know, um, <laughs> hey, you know, I can hear from God. Do you want to know what He says? And how can we deny the good fruit in that?
0: And and that that's the issue, though, that so many people don't. They're already coming and going, like, well, you're you're taking on authority that you don't have. You're not one of the prophets of, in the New Testament. That that all ended during the apostolic age. And what's interesting is. You look out through history with the examples you we were giving of Augustine and then of Calvin, um, and if you can go to Wesley, and you can go throughout history, throughout the Catholic Church, throughout Protestant Church, there are so many vivid examples of the prophetic, of the miraculous being done in recorded history and even done today. And the problem that I see here in the West is that we attribute the faults of some and make a blanket assumption of all truth. What what does the Lord say? Hey, judge and discern who are false apostles. Judge and discern who are false prophets, right? You who are spiritual, in 1 Corinthians 14, stand by and judge the word of prophecy. And so it's not saying that there won't ever be fakes out there. It's saying, no, you who are spiritual, discern who the fakes are. And what is the judge and plumb line of truth? It is the word of God.
1: Right. Yeah. But not just the word, but intimately knowing him. I've used the example before of um, money. You know, there's fake, there's forged money out there. There's fraudulent money. But how ridiculous would it be for us to be like, I'm, I don't do cash. I, I absolutely don't do cash because there's fake money out there. Actually, recently, I received a fake $1 bill. And when they handed it to me, I immediately felt different than the other dollar bills. And I was like, is this fake? And I like had to take it home. And I was like, Casey, feel this. And he immediately affirmed, yeah, that's that's fake. But because we're intimately acquainted with the real thing, we're so familiar with right. it. It is so easy to spot a fake. We don't have to fear being duped or deceived if we know the real thing.
0: Right, and that's what we are constantly encouraged to do in the New Testament, to have an intimate understanding of who God is and His character and His nature, and that's going to be, first and foremost, by knowing the Word of God, first and foremost, being acquainted with the Scriptures, having that sown to our heart, but knowing that the Holy Spirit, He guides us in all truth. He is the one who leads us and helps us discern the fake from the real.
1: Another example I have is I heard from a friend of mine, and she was saying that she heard the story of this man, and he was just begging the Lord, like, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to be used by you, and I'll do whatever you ask. And so the Lord told him, go into this gas station and do a headstand. And you know, if you've read the Old Testament, some of the things God has told the prophets to do, it's usually weird stuff.
0: It's a little awkward.
1: Usually it's not comfortable or easy or like this makes total sense. Many times it's like, I have no idea why you'd want me to do that. That's so silly. And um, and I think that's part of the struggle nowadays when we do hear from the Lord is that we immediately want to invalidate him and be like, no, that doesn't make sense. I can't see where that's going. And so that must mm-hmm. not be God. But this person had the bravery to do it. And when they did it, a girl comes busting out of the back room crying. And she says, I told God that today I was going to commit suicide after work, but that if he was real to have someone come in and do a headstand. And she saw on the cameras out front someone come in and do a headstand. So she in that moment recognized that God was real.
0: Mm. And that he knows her and that he cares about her. And, and what we fail to realize is that is a huge impetus and point of why the prophetic is so
1: important. If you look at all of the scriptures, God is using man to do his will. I can't think of any examples where God just does stuff and doesn't involve man in in the scriptures. And so we want to think, well, God's so powerful and he's so in control that he could just do that on his own. But the truth is, is that every example that we have is God leading people to follow him, leading them to do actions that affect other people. And that is still alive today. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Forever. Okay. <laughs> yesterday, today, and forever. So one of the the ways that I've really embraced this is understanding that when we pray to God that we don't just need to give him a list of what's wrong, but we need to be willing to receive from him instructions and solutions and then partner with him in those instructions and solutions. I'll give you an example. The other day I was praying with a couple at church. We have a prayer time and they were having some hard times with a closing on their house. They were losing where they were currently living, where the house they were buying had got pushed back and wasn't going to close on time. They didn't have any place to put their stuff. It was really kind of a predicament. And so they were explaining to me how terrible this predicament was. And I stopped them and I said, you know what, I believe in partnering with God for prophetic solutions exactly what is the best case scenario and they said that somehow the the house would close tomorrow and we can move into it i was like that's what we're praying for so in the name of jesus i just partnered with god and i just prayed that that would happen that that was going to go through i declared that god was making a way and that he heard their prayers and that he cared and they i didn't see him the next week at church and then the next week they were there and she's like, hey, by the way, late on Monday night, we got a phone call that it was going to close that day. And so it was so cool because we went from this like place of fear and not knowing to actually partnering with God in the solution and seeing it done.
0: And that's just a picture of, of God gives good gifts to his children, that he cares about his children, how, how much that when we pray and petition the Lord, that he is going to truly come through because he cares. And it's not as if we're praying and, and bending God's will, bending his arm, bending his ear. We don't do that. We're partnering with his nature. We're partnering with what the word says about him. We're declaring truth, and we're just trusting that he is faithful. When we look at this picture of the prophetic, it is a forth of revelation. And it is revelatory. And that right there scares a lot of people because they don't understand what prophet means. They don't understand the role of a prophet. What you find in the New Testament, and this is where I think the big distinction needs to be made, most of the prophets did not give the inspired scripture. They didn't. When we're talking about the New Testament, in the Old Testament, that's a lot of the inspired scripture. When we're looking to the New Testament as well, it wasn't the apostles that gave us all of the inspired scripture. There were a lot of people who were just believers, who we have as being authors of several of the books of the New Testament. And so I think it is a false assumption on our part to say, oh, this revelation is going to alter scripture. The role of a prophet is not to be in contradiction to Scripture. The role of a prophet is to come into alignment and agreement, declaring that the Scripture is true and that we need to go back to that truth.
1: Go back to the true nature of God. Go back to the truth of the Word of God.
0: And there are a lot of prophetic warnings of, hey, if you go here like Agabus did to Paul, hey, you're going to be chained up. You're going to be carried away by people to a place you don't want to go. And so when we're talking about Revelation, it is not just okay, that's inspired new scripture. A lot of modern understanding is like, oh, that's going to bring about heresy like like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness. Like, no, 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 we're not altering. We're not adding to scripture. We're speaking for things that are true already to the character and nature of God. And we're we, not seeking to change it through revelation.
1: And we need to filter it through a lens of scripture to confirm that it is true.
0: Absolutely. We have to have a filter <laughs> to be able to discern that. So 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 was huge in my understanding of like, wow, these things didn't go away. These things still exist. When I'm just looking at a scriptural picture, when I'm reading in the book of Acts and I see all of these prophets referred to, that I'm going, well, I thought prophets ended in the Old Testament with John the Baptizer. Who are these guys? Where did they come from? And I start to go, well, I thought this was supposed to end and then it didn't. I see that it didn't. And then you have Paul's encouragement that there are still roles and offices of prophet today, and he refers to it in Ephesians 4, 11. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. You know, the Western church has complete comfort with the latter three, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. We're like, yeah, that is great. That's normal. God obviously gave us pastors, teachers, and evangelists.
1: But we like to edit out those first two.
0: We like to edit the first two. And I did too. I did for a long time. I was like, eh, no, that ended. But if you look at that context, he's not saying. Scripture. Those ended.
1: Right. A lot of people equate apostles and prophets to scripture. And they're like, well, that those first two are scripture. And then the last three are offices. But that's not what it's saying.
0: Exactly. It's not saying that, oh, this was a dispensation of time that they existed what does he say? They're all five used in the same exact context as roles within the body of Christ.
1: You really have to do some twisting to change what it's actually saying.
0: Absolutely. And just reading that over and over again and, and reading that in context of what uh, Paul is encouraging and how the Lord in Jesus, when he speaks in Revelation 2 to 3, and he's encouraging and blessing the church. And when Paul encourages and blesses the church. You were able to check and see what apostles were false, of what prophets were false, and you cast them out from you. You did not allow them to spew lies. And so what he's saying is, yeah, apostles and prophets exist. We're focusing here on prophets. This is true. There's also going to be fakes that come through. There's also going to be liars who come through that want to deceive. How are we going to discern what is true.
1: And so as we've established that we can either yield to scripture and context and what it's saying, or we can edit out things that we're uncomfortable with because of our backgrounds. But whenever we chose to fearfully believe the whole of scripture, um, we had to start diving into these things and learning about them. And I really learned how profitable, how life-changing, how encouraging these things are and how it builds faith, how it draws people near the Lord, all these things of true prophecy were so encouraging and had such good fruit, and we can't just throw out good fruit with, with bad, knowing that we have the Holy Spirit who guides us and we have the Holy Scripture who is, is also our plumb line, and so we have safety nets to guard us from the bad fruit, and we can still pursue and embrace the good fruit at the same time. Next week, I'd like to talk about more of what prophecy looks like nowadays nowadays Whenever it says that we all may prophesy what that actually means, what that can look like in different people's lives and why it's so important and necessary.
0: So if this podcast has blessed you by giving you a deeper understanding of who God is and has helped you grow in your relationship with him, we would like you to share with your friends who would benefit from these conversations. And also, if there is a particular topic you would like Jenny or me to discuss, Mm Let us know by visiting our landing page, delvewithus.info, and dropping us an email.
1: Until next time, we bless you to walk in spirit and in truth.